0: Good morning. Turning your copy of the scriptures, if you would, to the gospel of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Today marks the fourth Sunday of the Advent season we're in as we take this time to uh, intentionally, specifically, both corporately as a church and hopefully individually uh, just as followers of Christ, to specifically turn our hearts toward Christ in preparation for celebrating his uh, first coming, looking back and celebrating his birth on Christmas Day. If you look at chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke, verses 1 through 7, you see the Christmas story that most people, I would argue, are fairly familiar with, both inside and outside the church. A census was called, so Joseph went with his fiancée, who was, as the old King James says, great with child at the time. And while they were there, it came time for Mary to give birth, which she did, wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger since there was no room for them in the inn. Now, I don't mean to be flippant by just rushing through it like that. But that's the Christmas account, the Christmas story that most people inside and outside of the church are familiar with to some uh, to some degree. Today, we're going to another, yes, familiar portion of scripture, uh, specifically around this time of year. But I would argue isn't as familiar, particularly when it comes to the details. And hopefully you'll see that as we spend time together in the Word today in Luke chapter 2. So if you would, if you are physically able and willing, would you stand at this time in honor of the reading of God's Word as I read from the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to read beginning in verse 8 and through verse 20. This is what the Word of God says. And in the same region... grateful to be able to hear from you this day. So grateful for the word made flesh who dwelt among us that still speaks to us this very day. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray that you would add your blessing to the reading and the preaching and the hearing of your word. Help us to understand it rightly. Help me to rightly divide the word of truth and help us to be changed as we go from this place to live lives that are pleasing to you we ask this for your glory in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. So, first and foremost, like right out of the gate, we need to we need to acknowledge one thing in the text that we just read and that is that the most important verse in all of the verses we just read, like the verse that everything hangs on is unquestionably, beyond the shadow of a doubt, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That was what in verse 10 the angels referred to as good news of great joy for all the people. This is the good news. This is the main point right here. Of all the verses we read, this is the most important. The Savior has come who will save his people from their sins and therefore from death and hell, from the judgment of God And will bring them into the promised blessings of a kingdom and a king of blessing beyond description and beyond imagination. Eternal glory. All that is good news, friends. It's really good news. That's the best news those shepherds have ever heard. And it's the best news that you will ever hear. There is a savior. There is forgiveness of sin. You can escape hell. You can go to heaven forever. You can be blessed by God. This is good news for all people that should give us great, great joy. And this is where an amen would fit in real nice. Right on cue. That's perfect. Great. And when you get this, it's little wonder that all heaven broke loose and started praising God and singing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It really is good news of great joy for all the people. And if you realize the greatness, the magnitude of this message, if you understand the goodness of it and the joy that's within these truths, you might look at this account and wonder why it happened the way it did. See, I'm not a, a public relations agent, nor do I play one on TV. But, but at first glance, this seems like, quite frankly, just a terrible way to start a campaign. This seems like a terrible way to get the message out. I mean, first is just the question of, of, of pragmatism, right? If you're an angel and you have a message, but it's not just a message, it's, it's the message, right? This is the mother of all messages. And you have a message that you're going to proclaim, uh, since it impacts everyone... And if you are obviously not alone, evidenced by the fact that just a few verses later, there's the heavenly host is singing, why not like divide and conquer, right? Do you ever hang door hangers? Or you take the street, you take, why, why not divide and conquer? Okay, I'm going to preach the message to this group of people. I'm going to preach the message to that group of people. I'm going to preach the message to this group of people and more people can hear. It seems like a very inefficient way to get a message out, what we read in the scriptures. Uh, Why not either, if you're not going to divide and conquer, why not just like turn up the volume a bit so more people can hear, right? Like push it to 11, dude. This is is what we need. This is the message of the gospel. This is something that if you're going to preach, if you're going to shout it from the rooftops, shout it from the rooftops. Now, I'm not trying to be irreverent here. I'm just saying if the message is good news for everyone, quite frankly, why not tell everyone? Furthermore, why tell shepherds? Shepherds tending their flock by night. Really? Why, why in the world would you start there? right? If the angels aren't going to divide and conquer, that's fine. And they're not going to turn up the volume, that's fine. And they want to go about it all grassroots-like, right? People telling people, that, that's great. But why tell these people? <laughs> why, why, why these people? Shepherds tending their flock by Night. If you're going to tell people and say, good, now, now we'll tell these people and they'll respond and they'll go and tell these people. Why do you tell people who have the ear of the world for crying out loud, not just the ear of the sheep? right? Like, and, and I mean, there's a host of people you could consider telling other than shepherds. There's a high priest who's the religious leader of Israel. He would be a good place to start. There's the Sadducees, 70 elders who make up the Sanhedrin. They're the ruling body of Israel. Maybe drop them a line. They, they would be somebody who you'd want to tell. The Pharisees are the religious fundamentalists of the day. Maybe they would be somebody you'd want to tell. For crying out loud, tell Caesar. Tell Caesar. You're an angel. Go go show up at Caesar's door and tell him. Do you know there's ancient Roman ruins where Caesar gave himself the title, watch this, Savior of the World. Wouldn't it be awesome to show up at Caesar's place? Angel with the, hi, I'm the angel. This is the heavenly host there behind me. We just want to let you know the Savior of the world has been born and is not you. Kicking off the New Testament with a messianic mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> that would make a lot more sense than going to shepherds. Why this course of action? This is the most important message of all time. Why shepherds? When you look at the resume, right, of shepherds, there's not much to speak of. There's no reason they should be, they should be the first to, to be told. Some might argue there's no reason they should be told at all living in that day and age. But the shepherd's resume, quite frankly, like so many others in Scripture, show us that God doesn't do what we think would be best. That God doesn't call the qualified, but in effect qualifies the called. That God doesn't go to someone who he's so impressed with and says, Oh, behold, my servant, this is the one who could help me. No, that's not how God rolls. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Shepherds were despised people. Look at verse 8 in the text. Look at Luke 2 and verse 8. They're not even named. They're not even numbered. Luke is a historian. He's a detail guy. Okay? He, 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 he gives details about the things he cares about. The Holy Spirit inspires him to include these things in his writings. And not even he cares. They're not named. They're not numbered. The original Greek says, there were shepherds. That's it. That's it. No adjective. No, no other descriptive, ver- uh, descriptive words. There were shepherds. Moving on. There's nothing more to say about them. They're, they're that unlikely a group to be entrusted with this message. But that's okay because God chooses to receive glory by not calling the qualified, but by qualifying the called. And that, quite frankly, was Jesus' mission in coming to earth. That, quite frankly, was Jesus' mission in how he came, who he was to reach. Keep your finger in Luke 2. Flip over to Luke chapter 4. In just the span of two chapters, we're already into into Jesus' adult ministry. And look at Luke chapter 4. And let's pick it up in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth. He, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Jesus said, I think I'll read this. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the awesome. Good news to the qualified, good news to the intelligent, good news to the noble, good news to the deserving. That's not what it says. What does it say? To proclaim good news to the poor. That he has sent me to proclaim liberty to those who are already free, but I just want them to live freer. That's not what it says. Liberty to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind. He's not interested in helping those who already see, see better. He's telling, I want to go, I'm going to the outcasts. I'm going to the down and out. I'm going to the people who would have been thought of as low lives. Recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Look at verse 20. And he rolled up, this is great. He reads that. Look at verse 20. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. God doesn't call the qualified. The supposedly qualified, the supposedly deserving, the supposedly holy, the supposedly righteous. He qualifies the called. Jesus was coming for the outcasts, for the poor, for the down and out. And isn't it just like God to want to stick it to the religious man, right? To want to stick it to the person who would always say, Oh, I'm the religiously elite. I come from this heritage. I've done this. All these things I've done since my youth. And God, instead of announcing it to him, or instead of announcing it to Caesar, or instead of announcing it to the religious leaders, he goes to shepherds. How many? The shepherds. What are their names? Ah, shepherds. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies The call. And we see this principle repeated in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul calls this to our attention. Verse 27 and following. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are just not. To bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Trust me, when the shepherds heard the announcement, they weren't like, well, duh, I mean, we are shepherds. There was, he wasn't, they weren't so filled with who they are and say, well, of course the announcement would come to us, what, given the fact that we are shepherds. They had nothing to boast in. Nothing to boast in. And isn't it just like God to do that? Isn't it just like God to go for the wow factor... So that we would see, okay, it's God is, is, is taking the person who is societally low, right, and doing something really, really big in their lives to so turn that whole thing on its head so that God would receive the glory. And just as a, as a, honestly, really a side application, I'm just curious. Do you believe God has qualified you for use in the kingdom of, of God? You sit back, well, I'm not, and then you, you fill in the sentence. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, if you have laid it all on, I'm not asking if you're perfect. You know you're not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. We know that about each other. We can hang. I'm, I'm saying if you have put all of your faith in Jesus, you put all your eggs in one basket, and you say the only reason I am going to heaven is because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross, because of his death on my behalf, do you, if you're that person, do you believe that you are qualified for use in God's kingdom? Because you are. I'm not asking if you're a churchgoer or just a religious person, but a true believing Christian. Quite frankly, you'll never be more qualified than you are right now. God has taken you from death to life, from darkness to light, from hell to heaven, from being an outcast to being a son. Your family and God doesn't call the qualified, but once he calls you, once he draws you, once he saves you, he qualifies the call to be used for his glory and for our good. We see that in the example of the shepherds. Here's what else we see. If you look at Luke chapter 2, verses 15 and following, we see the shepherds' reactions show us that true faith always precedes action. True faith gives birth to action. Pick it up in Luke chapter 2, verses 15 and Following, Uh, after, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 16 says, they went with haste. Here's just something I want to call to your attention, that the shepherds were not being obedient. They were never told to go. This was just an angelic FYI. No, no reply necessary. They, they were never told to go. They didn't say, now you must go. They just said, a Savior has been born. Here's a sign for you. We have a song to sing. They went up into heaven. They never told the shepherds, now go. But the shepherds' response after the angels left was, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They were never commanded to go. They weren't obeying orders. Their hearts overflowed within them with joy for what they'd heard, and so they went. And let me call to your attention a couple of things in the text. Look at verse 15. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing. Watch this. That has happened. It's not... Let's go see if this is for real. You got a minute? I don't know. if That sounds crazy. Certainty. Do you see that? This thing that has happened. Look at, keep going, which the Lord has made known to us. It wasn't, let's go and, I don't know. Are you serious? Is he, for real? did you see that? Did that really, is the hay moldy? What, 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 what is, this is, this is crazy. It wasn't going to see if it had happened. Let's go see what happened. And that's the Christian's response to the word of God. If you're, if you're a Christian, you know that, that we, we, we hear truth from the Word of God, we believe truth from the Word of God, and then we go. We take action. If, if, you're, if you've been converted to Christ, you know you hear the truth of the gospel, you believe the truth about Jesus, and then you go to Jesus. You lay it all down. You surrender your life to Christ. That is the shepherds' reaction, that they show us that true faith always gives birth to action. And a Christian, the longer you walk with the word of God, the longer you walk with and become familiar with the word of God, uh, you realize that our hearts are changed by the word. And that we act not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we want to. And then the longer you walk with the Lord, you realize even when we don't want to, we ought to. Because we've never obeyed the word of God and been sorry. Sorry. So it's one thing to say, oh, I really want to do this. God's changed my heart. I really want to. But then if you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, you know there's some times where you just kind of want to do this. And for whatever reason, you spiritually whine and drag your feet because we're all like sheep and we all go astray. But if you know anything about your walk with the Lord and with, and with the word of God, you realize that even when I don't want to, I probably ought to. In fact, I certainly ought to because God's word can be trusted and is true. And we've never obeyed God's word ...and regretted it. Is this the case in your life? Is there a, a general pattern of hearing God's word... ...believing God's word, obeying God's word? Hearing, believing, doing. When you hear God's word proclaimed from the pulpit... ...from your own, from your own time in the word... ...and the Lord speaks to you through his word... In, ...in your small group, for someone who shares biblical truth with you... ...what's your posture... What's your reaction? What's your response? Is your life characterized by action in response to the word of God? The shepherds weren't much to look at, weren't much in society, but they seem to know something. And they believe what they've been told and they go not to verify, but they go to see and to celebrate because they're certain about what the Lord has shown them. And that's what you see in verse 15. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known To us. And also, we see that the shepherd's response to their encounter with Christ once they go is the same for every true believer witness and worship. Look at Luke 2, verse 17 through 20. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. This is their response to this news. They hear this news. They go. They've believed, so they go. They get there and they say, this is why we're here. This is the fir- Let me tell you what God told us. This is great news. This is what they can't help but speak. They can't help but speak. They don't beat around the bush. They're not like, so the weather, everything, you know, they, they just go, they've got one thing on their mind and it's what the Lord has told them and revealed to them in his word. They give witness. They bear witness to what the Lord has done in their lives. And then as they return, they've seen, they've celebrated. And as they return, they leave praising and glorifying God for all they had heard and seen. And I think they were praising and glorifying God much more for the baby that they had seen than the whole, we don't know what it looked like, but the whole starry host that they saw, the whole heavens proclaim. I think it all came right down to the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And they're praising God and glorifying God as they leave. They respond with witness and worship. Are there examples of witness and worship in your life. You so well, I'm here aren't I? Huh, I know. But worship isn't a thing. It's not a portion of the service. It's not a day of the week. Our worship is our life. We live lives of worship. Day in and day out. So I can't sing constantly. Worship isn't singing. Worship is living a life. That is constantly Uh, as living sacrifices, right? Dying to self, living our lives with the purpose of glorifying God in whatever we do. And if at the time that's singing, well, by all means, strike up the band. But there's not, uh, this concept, this concept ought not be that worship is a time of the week, a time of the service. It's our lives. Worship and witness. Maybe there's one that's more present in your life than, than the other. But worship and witness go hand in hand. We see that with the shepherds. Do you see that in your life? Now, we've made some application, and that's good. What I want to do now is go a bit deeper in one area and see if the Lord might give us even more application and more understanding. We're dealing with a narrative here. And when it comes to a narrative, it's important to, yes, know the story, yes, to tell the story, But in my opinion, you won't find personal application unless you can, and you may have heard me say this before, find yourself in the story. And you say, well, I wasn't there. I can't find myself in the story. Okay, I understand. Calm down. But but what you need to do is look and say, you know what? Who am I perhaps most like in this narrative? So this way, I don't just know a story. I know a story so I can correct other people when they get the story wrong. (laughs) Oh, you're that guy. You're super fun. Or I know a story just so I can, you know, combat this and that. It's like, just so I know the story so I can impress people at parties. That's awesome. That's real cool. But personal application comes with saying, what can I draw? What can I draw out from this text? Uh, who am I perhaps most like? Uh, there's there's several characters in the story. One would argue Jesus is the main character. But but who? What can I? What can I learn from this other than well? That's just how it happened. Because that's just how it happened doesn't really get us very far in our Christian walks. It's since that's how it happened, how then ought we live? So since we're dealing with a narrative here, what I want to do is to try to explain my understanding of some of the context we find ourselves in as we look a little closer. So we mentioned before that shepherds were certainly outcasts, okay? We know that they were outcasts. They were, they were not trusted. There was a huge prejudice against them. But here's what I want you to understand. They were outcasts, but shepherding isn't an illegitimate profession. You get that they're outcasts, but to be a shepherd is not an illegitimate profession, right? Abraham was a shepherd for part of his life. Uh, Moses was. David was. I'm a pastor, and I'm kind of all right, you know. Right, and so I mean, like shepherding is not an illegitimate profession. They were just social outcasts. The people I just listed, Moses, Abraham, David, uh, these weren't illegitimate men. They were great men of the faith. Shepherding wasn't an illegitimate profession. They were just despised in society. It wasn't a shameful profession, okay? Not a shameful one, just a lowly one. There's a difference. Not a shameful one, just just a lowly one. It was was rather insignificant. It, It they, they were thought of as, you know, an, an ignoramus can do this. It's shepherding sheep. Like, anyone who's uneducated, unskilled, doesn't take a ton of training. No one shows up to be a shepherd and goes, ah, uh, I have not been trained for this. Anybody, anybody could basically show up. Like, try to mess this up, dude. Like, you're, you're going to get it. Anybody could do this. You don't have to be skilled. You don't have to be specially trained. It's child's work. They were, they were among the lowest paid but their societal rejection was more than just people turning their noses up at them because they were low on a social ladder. They were also thought to live in, watch this, perpetual violation of God's law. Perpetually. Constant. See, sheep require care seven days a week. Seven days a week. So what did that mean for shepherds? Shepherds broke the Sabbath like it was their job. See what I did There. Because it was their job, right? So, so they broke the Sabbath constantly. They just lived their life as, as viewed as Sabbath breakers because they were always, uh, always working, always caring for the sheep, and they didn't just take off one day and seven to rest. They were caring for the sheep. So they weren't just low in a social sense, but they were looked, looked upon as having a lifestyle of living in violation of God's law. Now, if you've spent any time in our church, hopefully any time even in the Word of God, you know, as we preach through Romans and as we preach truth from the pulpit, that the law was never meant to save. The law was never meant to save. Uh, the law can't save. But some people lived their lives thinking at least they had a shot, right? Or they'd try their best. They'd keep the Sabbath, or at least try to in Jesus' day. They'd present their sacrifices. They'd keep the rituals. They would jump through the hoops. They would do these things. And what I just want to call out to your attention is that shepherds couldn't even do that. Do do, do you see what I mean? Shepherds couldn't even do that. Uh, Of all people living in Jesus' day and age in that society, they certainly wouldn't have thought their works would have merited any favor with God. That's who we're talking about when we talk about the shepherds. Even among the Pharisaical, religious, formulaic, law based system of works that really confounded most people, but these people were really in the cheap seats as shepherds. These people really didn't have a shot. Now, shepherds were societal outcasts, really viewed as low lives, the lowest of the low. But that doesn't mean that they didn't believe in God. In fact, I'd argue that they did believe in God. Now, I'll I'll readily admit I I can't prove this dogmatically. Like the Gospels that we see in Scripture, they're not meant to be biographies. Right? There's not, like, all, what biography would go from the birth of someone in chapter 2 to him in his 30s in chapter 4? Like, like that's, that's, this is not meant to be biographies. The Gospels are meant to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ so that people might read them, believe them, hear the word preached, and be saved. Okay, so the Gospels don't present, really, like, every single solitary detail. But if, I believe that there's a, a, a compelling case to make that these shepherds were, might have actually been what's called temple shepherds. And that means they would have been tending sheep that perhaps would have been used for sin offerings. So, we don't have time to look at all the details today. But given their location and their proximity to the temple, given what we do know from Old Testament scriptures and from extra-biblical trusted sources as well, I think there's a strong case to make that these lowly shepherds, hopeless and helpless as they may seem and were, were shepherds that may have been employed by the temple to prepare sheep for sacrifices. So, just work with me here and just... Picture what that might have been like. Pause. What would it have been like to have been so close? (laughs) Live your lives so close to the action in the temple. So close to all the religious works of of the workings of people. Yet to be thought of as a societal outcast and constantly reminded, at least every seven days, that you were a nobody. Nobody. What would it have been like to be so close but unable to participate themselves? Imagine the, I'm just asking you to, to try to put yourself there. Imagine the frustration of, of knowing God's law and, I'd say in a sense, helping others keep God's law. I mean, you're tending the sheep that they're going to sacrifice. Knowing God's law, having some part in other people at least claiming to keep God's law, yet you yourself was breaking it all the time. You you are unable to keep it yourself because of your proverbial lot in life. These are the people who we're talking about, in my opinion. This is what, just picture that frustration, that constant reminder, you're a nobody, you're a lowlife, you're a nobody. Fail, 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 fail. They were temple shepherds. They of all people would have known that a sacrificial lamb had to be without, without spot, without blemish, no bruise, no broken bones. Now They would have known that from the law, as you and I can read, but they also would have had a constant reminder in their lives because it was their job. And so as lambs are born... Uh, if it appeared to be worthy of temple sacrifice, now, this is from reading. It might, you may be surprised to know that there's not a lot of opportunities to witness animals being born in Queens. But, but, but this, this, is, this is what I know. Perhaps you've seen animals born and you can attest to this. I've seen kids be born and there's some, anyway. Um, if, a, if a lamb was born and thought to perhaps have been worthy, ooh, this I don't see spot. I don't see blemish. This is, a, this is a good one. Do you know what the shepherd would do? Watch this. They would wrap the lamb in swaddling cloths. Swaddling cloths weren't, it's not a onesie. Right? It's, it, it's thin, bands of, thin bands of fabric that were wrapped tightly around um, a baby, or tightly around an an animal, prevent it from moving. Why? Well, because we don't want this lamb to, the lamb comes out and it's moving, it's going all crazy and stuff like that, and they were, okay, 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 we don't want this thing to get a bruise, to break a bone, to uh, disqualify itself, right, otherwise disqualify itself from temple use, so wrap that thing up, lay it here till it comes down. Wrap the sacrificial lamb in swaddling cloth and lay it here. Please look at Luke 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, watch this, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This will be a sign for you. I mean, is it even possible to overstate the significance of this? I mean, do you want to just, we could, I could close in prayer right now. We could just all go home and let our minds Explode. And these are the shepherds that go, don't have much, not much to speak with, not much to brag about, kind of smell, and these are the ones who go. These are to whom God entrusted this message with, and they're the first to hear, as far as we know, of the announcement of Christ's birth. Stick with me here. They hear about Christ. They believe what they've heard. They go to Christ, right? Hear truth, believe truth, go. Hear about Christ, believe Christ, go to Christ. What if they said, eh, two out of three in bed"? What if they hear and believed, but stayed? What if they heard the announcement, but they're not commanded to go, right? Heard the announcement, believe the announcement. But state. It would mean they'd spend their entire lives around sheep and symbols, and signs, and things pointing to the main thing. Pointing. It's not, it's good, but not great, right? Here's a sacrificial lamb to remind us of our sins, but you know what? We don't do it once. We do it over, and over, and over, and over again. They spend their entire lives around the rituals. Entire lives close to the temple, but just not so close, not close enough to reach. Entire lives seeing all these things that point to the main thing, but they would have missed the main thing. They would have spent their entire lives within throwing distance of the main thing, but would have missed it. If they heard about Christ, believed it, but then didn't back it up with, what they, with their actions. If their faith didn't bring about action. And here's where it came home for me as I was preparing this message. They would have spent their entire lives around sheep, but miss the lamb. How sad would it have been for them to spend their entire lives, countless sheep, and miss the one sacrificial lamb that mattered. You can spend your whole life around sheep and miss the lamb. You can spend your whole life uh, around sheep but never encounter the lamb. Some people spend a lot of time around sheep but miss Christ. So close, right? So close. So close. You, you see and maybe that's you. You 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 see people doing religious things that seem to be heartfelt. You 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 see people raising their hands, singing songs. You 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 you, you see people praying and reading and talking about answered prayer and talking about prayer that was answered but not in the way that they wanted but still have hope. You, you see people content in Christ. You see people struggle but persevere and struggle and persevere. You, you see people supporting one another and lifting each other up. And it's not always pretty. Sheep smell. But, but, but you're around sheep and you see this happening. You're, you're totally familiar with the people of God, the sheep, but you've never really encountered the Lamb. It is entirely possible for one to spend their entire life around sheep, but miss the lamb. Why would the shepherds have stayed back if they did stay back? No, they didn't. Well, I know. Well, think with me. Why would we come this far? Why why would the shepherds have stayed back if they did stay back? Maybe there would have been reason, right? Like, yeah, we don't have much, but we got these here sheep, right? You had one job. Let 's not mess it up like let 's just kind of care for these she- like I want to go and see, but uh, I feel like a shepherd really should stay with the sheep. What would be being a shepherd and all. so i 'm not going to leave right now. They would have had reason to not go they would they could have clung to the one thing they did have and said, uh, thanks, but no thanks'll we'll, i guess'll we'll, we'll just we 'll just believe, but we won 't back it up with action, and maybe in some sense that 's you maybe maybe there 's something that you 're Clinging to that you think is better than surrendering your life to. Christ. And it may not be a terrible thing. It's just not as good as Christ. it might be a terrible thing, but it doesn't have to necessarily be a terrible thing. Maybe there's something in between you and coming to Christ. You hear truth. You cognitively believe truth, but you're not going to go to truth. You're not going to take action to follow Christ. And maybe there's something you're clinging to. And I don't know what it is. I'm just, and I'm no angel, but I can tell you the good news of great joy is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is infinitely better. Maybe they would have stayed behind because they thought of themselves as too low, right? Too unworthy, too undeserved, too smelly, too, 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 too despised, too wretched, too dirty, too poor, whatever. Maybe they would have said, well, the baby's not going to judge us, but there's other people there. What if we pass people there? Surely the baby has parents. Are we going to put the parents off? Maybe we shouldn't go there. There's no Purell at this time. Like, we're, we're just gross people. How do we, like... wouldn't it be terrible if the fact that they are wretched and poor and of lowly estate, which is really all the things that God says you need to come to Christ, how sad would it be if the things that you actually need to have to come to Christ would be the things that you thought kept you from Christ? I mean, would the devil not like love that that? The things that you actually have to have to come to Christ, to be lowly, to be humble, to realize how far away you are from what you need to be. And those are the things that should be pushing you towards Christ, but instead you say, yeah, I I, I just can't. How sad it would be for you to think the very things that actually make you ready to come to Christ actually hinder you from, from going. It is entirely possible for one to spend their entire life around the sheep and yet miss the lamb. Well, I'm no angel. But I can tell you there's not only room for the marginalized, but there's actually only room for the marginalized. (laughs) There's not just, oh, you know what? So so we we would be in danger of looking at a text like this and say, Man, I'm so glad Jesus came to save me and mine and those people. Right? I'm so glad Jesus came to save me. I mean, he he had to shed his blood for me, but he had to pour it out for them. But I'm really glad that he did that. You miss it if you think, Wow, I'm so glad Jesus came for me and mine and all y'all. I'm so glad Jesus came for me and mine and those other people. It's seeing ourselves as marginalized. Seeing ourselves as the despised without Christ. There's not only room for the marginalized. There's only room for the marginalized. There's not room for anyone else. Until someone sees himself as hopeless, as helpless, as needy, as bankrupt, and surrenders it all They don't come to Christ. There's no room in the inn. There's no room for that person. If you sit here and you say, yeah, but Peter, you don't don't know me. You don't know how I've rolled. You know the things that I've done. I'm telling you, there's no better place for one to surrender their life to Christ than right now, as you see yourself as hopeless and helpless and bankrupt. I'm no angel, but I have good news for great joy for all the people. The Savior has been born. And here is a sign for you, God's word. The Savior has been born and here's a sign for you, God's people. The Savior has been born and here's a sign for you, lives are changed by the power of the gospel. Here's a sign for you, sin has been broken and people who would walk in perpetual enslavement to sin now walk free. Here's a sign for you, there's been joy in suffering. Here's a sign for you, people have peace that surpasses understanding. Here's a sign for you, the seemingly hopeless have hope. I'm here to say that Jesus Christ came for sinners like us. And we're all in that same camp, and we're all marginalized, and we all have no hope. And none of us is a little closer than the other person. Christmas is for sinners like us. The Christ child is for us. He who is mighty has done a great thing. God qualifies the called. He brings action to our faith. He gives us reason to worship and reason to go and tell. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Ruling, reigning, and just to bring it all full circle and to turn everything on its head. You know what he comes back as? The chief shepherd. <laughs> Jesus is ruling and reigning, comes as the lamb, is the lamb of God, who is slain for sinner, from the foundation of the world for sinners like you and like me. And we're told that when the chief shepherd appears, see what he did there? When the chief shepherd appears, we'll receive the unfading crown of glory. He who is mighty has done a great thing. What about you? In what way are you like the shepherds? Maybe you're despised. Maybe you're lowly. You say, I just can't. Come to Christ. Cry out to Christ. Talk to Christ. Say, Save me. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. Change my life. He will, from heaven, answer your prayer. He's never not answered that prayer. Do you hear me? Never. He's never not answered that prayer. Maybe you're, maybe, as you look at the shepherds, Maybe you see yourself as altogether not like them. Not like them. That's rough. Because you are. I'm above them. Not like that. Maybe you look at the shepherds and you're reminded, wow, I really am like them. Without Christ, I would be hopeless. Without Christ, I would be helpless. Without Christ, I would be on the lowest of the lowest of the low. But Christ has given me value. And the only thing I have to brag in is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. And maybe that's the reminder today as you look at the shepherds and you think you are not like them, you realize, oh my goodness, I'm actually just like them. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives me hope. That brings me into the fold. And who gives me joy. He who is mighty has done A great thing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you with joy because of what you have done for us. Not with a with joy because of what you've done, but we have a little something for you. We we actually don't. What we bring to the table is need. What we bring to the table is is bankruptcy. We have nothing to offer you. We don't claim to. Forgive us. It's laughable for us to think that we are unlike these shepherds. We're just like them. And Lord, for those of us who know you, we are so glad you have opened up our eyes to truth. That you and your sovereign grace and mercy have changed our hearts and our minds to know and love the Savior. Lord, would you continue to do that even this day, even this hour, Lord? Would you impact the lives of your people here, even those who know you not? Lord, would you call them to yourself even now? Would you save souls even now? Lord, show a goat she's a sheep. Show a goat he's a sheep. Lord, add to your flock even this day, and we ask that not for our sake. We need it. Oh, we need it. But we ask that for your glory. We pray that your word would run forth and that you would be glorified in saving souls and reminding those of us who know you and love you how blessed we are to have you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.